0: And welcome back to Toxic Bliss, surviving narcissism with me, Awin Reese. In the last episode, Mike had finally arrived and we met for the very first time. I was ecstatic and overjoyed and as in love as any person could ever be. After a wild ride back from the airport, we reached my mother's house and I had to find a way to mentally reconcile my two worlds. That would be made much easier by the constant over-the-top love bombing that we're about to take a look at. Love bombing is a phrase used to describe one of the first phases of a narcissistic relationship. In this phase, the narcissist will pull out all the stops and use every trick in the book to woo and win the love of their target. That doesn't sound bad, does it? It doesn't feel bad either, which is why so many of us fall for it. However, nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, about this phase is true or genuine. It's all a giant scam perpetrated by someone who has the ability to pinpoint exactly what their target is yearning for and assume that role. This phase doesn't last very long, usually from one to three months, but that's plenty of time to completely ensnare their victim in their monumental web of lies. This is what we're going to be looking at today, but before we get started, the disclaimer. I am not a psychologist, psychiatrist, or mental health professional. If you need help or if you are in a dangerous situation, please reach out. I urge you to call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Their advocates are available 24-7 at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. All calls are free and confidential. You can also reach them online at www.thehotline.org. Before we reached my mother's house, I had handed a $100 bill to Mike to give to the driver as a tip. I was pretty sure he didn't have any money on him, and I also knew that it would make him feel funny if I tipped the driver myself. Ah, it's the little things we do that show how much we love someone, right? The driver opened the door for us and helped me out of the car. Mike climbed out after me and shook his hand and gave him the tip. I waved goodbye and said thank you, and he departed. But it was still early in the day, and I had planned on making a family favorite for dinner, chicken cutlets. I had a lot of cooking to do, so we went in the house so I could get the requisite introductions out of the way and start cooking. Mike walked in and went straight up to Maggie. He knelt down to talk to her at her level and opened his bag. He had brought a small gift for her, and she beamed brightly as she accepted it. He asked her if he could give her a hug, and she jumped into his arms. My heart melted. Eddie was outside doing something in the yard, so we went out to find him. I introduced the guys and said that I was going to go start cooking, and I figured they could amuse themselves by loading the truck or at the very least, talking about loading the truck. Back inside, I set to work slicing and breading at least a hundred chicken fillets. I wanted to ask my mother what she thought of Mike. She was quick to assess people and usually spot on. I didn't, though, and I'm not sure why, other than perhaps I didn't actually want her honest opinion. I was too happy, and I didn't want anything to ruin it. Anything pesky, you know, like the truth. The guys came in a little while later and they said they had found all of my mother's camping gear in the garage. They wanted to put up the tent in the yard. Why? Because guys. She said she didn't care, as long as they broke it down and put it away before we left. They promised her that they would and went back outside to play. I smirked and continued on with the cooking. As I was slaving away over a hot stove, I could hear laughter and Maggie's giggles coming from outside. It seemed that everyone was getting along just fine, and that was perfect. When dinner was ready, we started carrying the food and plates and things outside. I had gotten a case of beer for the guys, and they were very appreciative. The tent had been set up perfectly, though I still had no real idea why. But we ate dinner outside as the day began to cool, and we sat around talking and getting to know Mike a bit better. My mother had rented a movie to watch, The Green Mile. I suspected that this was a veiled warning for Mike and laughed to myself as we cleaned up from dinner and prepared to settle down for a movie. Eddie put Maggie to bed, we all got comfortable in the living room. I sat on the couch right next to Mike, with my mother on his other side. Eddie was relegated to the armchair all by his lonesome, and this actually made me sad. This must be very uncomfortable for him, and I regretted that I hadn't put more thought to that beforehand. Even though he and I were not together anymore, we'd still carry on almost as if we were— If we watched a movie together, we'd still sit all snuggled up like always, old habits and familiarity and all that, but this was a new element being added into the mix, and I wasn't sure how he'd deal with it. I wished that I had sat in the chair before he came into the room, but it was too late. Halfway through the movie, I asked Eddie to come to the kitchen with me to get some popcorn and drinks for everyone. I didn't actually need his help, but I wanted to see how he was doing. So we talked in hushed voices, and he said that he really liked Mike, he was fun, and he wasn't feeling awkward at all. Really? I pressed him. But he assured me, a 100%, he was fine. Well, okay, I'd have to take his word for it. He certainly seemed fine. We resumed the movie, and Mike was holding a bowl of popcorn. I smiled every time we reached for it at the same time, and our fingers would touch. Every tiny thing was thrilling to me, and I felt like such a teenager again. One time, when reaching for the popcorn, he pushed my hand away and fed me the popcorn that he had already grabbed in his own hand. I loved that. It was, I don't know, cute, adorable, sweet, something. I could feel my mother's eyes rolling back in her head, even though she didn't let on that she'd even seen. But sometimes you just know what your mother's thinking, and she was praying that this movie would end fast. The movie did finally end, and my mother excused herself to get ready for bed. The guys and I went back outside to sit in the cool night air, and they had another few beers, and we talked for hours. Mike decided that it would be fun if we slept in the tent. I wasn't sure who he meant by we exactly, but Eddie, assuming that Mike meant all of us, said, No way, I'm going inside. I prefer beds to the ground. And that left, well, me and Mike. Now, I am not a camping-type person at all, but I would have slept on a hot lava flow if Mike had asked me in that moment. Camping! Yay! Fun! Let's do it! I went inside and gathered some sleeping bags, pillows, blankets, and changed into some sweats. Even though it was July, it was cool at night and I was already feeling a bit chilly. Mike and I sat outside under the stars and talked for quite a while. We decided to do a meditation together, one that I had told him about long ago. It was a chakra-blending-type meditation designed to bring people closer together. Now, whether you believe in this sort of thing or not... It was still a lovely moment of quiet and peace and opening ourselves up to each other in a profound way. After that was finished, we went into the tent and made a comfortable-looking sleeping area. I say comfortable-looking because I discovered very quickly that the ground is anything but comfortable. I didn't complain, though. I would not have traded my place beside him for anything in the world. We did eventually fall asleep somehow, and I woke to the first morning light bitterly cold, desperately needing the bathroom, and sore from head to toe. Standing up was a little challenging. I had put my hand against the side of the tent as if it was going to support me as I stood up and quickly learned the error of my ways. I caught myself before I fell completely and hoped against hope that Mike was still asleep and hadn't seen that, and I almost tripped again going out of the tent because I hadn't seen the lip of fabric across the bottom of the doorway. I cursed under my breath. Whoever designed these stupid things was stupid. I made my way into the house and ran to the bathroom. My mother was already awake and already laughing at me. She knew full well that I was not a camping-type person and that I was probably miserable. I think she thought it was hilarious that I would have agreed to camp out in her backyard just because some guy thought it would be fun. Mike was already in the kitchen by the time I came back from the bathroom. He and my mother were chatting amicably and... He came up to me and kissed me on the forehead when he saw me. Good morning, baby, he said quietly. Hi, I smiled. Want some breakfast? Yeah, he said he was starving. Good, that gave me something to do to avoid the awkwardness. I went to work and made some eggs, bacon, home fries, and toast. I made a ton of it. I knew how much Eddie could eat, and I expected that, and it was soon validated, that Mike could eat him under a table. After we cleaned up from breakfast and had gotten all dressed for the day, Mike had asked if there was a store nearby that he could walk to to get some drinks and things for the day. I had bought a ton of Pepsi, but he wanted Gatorade. The guys would be working all day in the hot sun, loading things from the garage into the truck, so I guess that made sense. My mother told him how to get to a little convenience store that was nearby, it was only about three blocks away. It was a pretty short, straight walk with no real chance of getting lost. Mike took a look at Maggie and asked if she wanted to go with him. She said yes, and she leapt for joy. I had a bit of a mom moment here and was a little displeased that he hadn't asked me if she could go, assuming that it would just be okay, but, you know, he's a take-charge kind of guy. I stopped to wonder for a second if this was really a great idea. I looked at my mother in secret mother language, and she just shrugged, meaning she didn't have a reason to say no. So I nodded, and Maggie was thrilled. The two set out on their adventure. I looked at Eddie with a face that said I was a little concerned, and he told me he said it's okay, it's a five-minute walk, and if they weren't back in ten, he'd go find them. Okay. As it turned out, they weren't back in ten minutes, so Eddie headed out to go intercept them along the way. The three of them returned not too long after, with Maggie riding merrily atop Mike's shoulders, and Eddie laughing at some joke that I couldn't hear. Everything was fine. There's a small lake next to the store that Mike had seen some swans swimming around in and they went to the water's edge to see if they could find some swan feathers for me. Mike knew that swans were one of my magical spirit animal-type things. They collected a handful of feathers, and Maggie presented them to me with great flair. I thanked her heartily and removed her from Mike's shoulders so I could give her a hug. And I still have those swan feathers to this day. The day passed swiftly. The guys got everything loaded up in the truck, and we had a good dinner and settled down early for the night. We didn't sleep in the tent that night, Mainly because I hadn't been feeling well at all that day. I was having some pretty severe lower back pain, but it didn't really feel like sore muscles. And I would also come down with a fever, chills, and nausea. I had a really restless night and had woken up several times because of the pain. The next morning, apparently I looked like death warmed over. My mother was even concerned, and she doesn't get easily rattled by illness. Mike took my temperature and decided that I should go to the ER. Now, I'm not a medically hypersensitive type either, and I don't go to the ER unless I'm missing a limb or blood is pouring out of my body by the gallon. Which has never happened, by the way, just to be clear. But Mike insisted, and he did have a point. We were supposed to be leaving for Florida that day, and there was something really wrong. It's better to find out before we head off. So, we went to the ER. My mother even let him drive her car. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but for my mother, that was a huge deal. Either she trusted him at that point, or she was pretty sure I was about to die on her kitchen floor. But either way, it was a big deal. I'm going to pause here for a short break, and when we come back, we'll find out if I lived. Welcome back. By the time we'd got to the ER, I was heading downhill fast. Whatever was wrong with me was getting worse by the minute. I must have looked horrid because they didn't even make us wait for triage. I was brought right to a room. They did all the usual medical stuff and started an IV, drew blood, took my temperature. was was 105, by the way. They gave me some pills to swallow, and I didn't even bother to ask what they were, which is a bad thing to do. Always ask. The doctor came in after the test results had come back and informed me that I was seriously dehydrated and had a massive urinary tract infection, almost the worst he'd seen. I told him that my back hurt, not my urinaries. And he looked at me funny and explained that I had these things called kidneys, and infections like these can cause pain in the region that these kidney things live in, which is the lower back. They wouldn't let me go until they had gotten my fever down and had given me several bags of IV fluids. They administered some IV antibiotics to get the ball rolling. Painkillers, yes! I don't know which ones they gave me, but they were good... Mike had only left my side to make a few phone calls home and let them know what was going on or to get me another Sprite and some ice. He kept me entertained and calm and acted as my medical emissary and advocate. All I had to do was lay there and enjoy the pain meds. I was finally released about eight hours later and told to go home and sleep, drink water with cranberry juice, take all of my prescriptions, and come back if my temperature went up again. Mike paid close attention to my discharge orders, as I was busy wrestling with my sock that didn't seem to fit anymore. After the doctor had finished, Mike took the ill-spirited sock from me and put it on my foot. Hey, look, it did fit. That was funny. Everything was funny. What a funny place this is. He helped me back into my clothes and sneakers and wheeled me out to the car. He helped me into the car and even did my seatbelt after watching me struggle with it and laugh at it, thinking it, too, was funny. Side note, I'm a lightweight when it comes to drugs and alcohol. I can get very drunk from one beer, and I can get stoned off my face from one dose of pain medication. Whatever they had given me was strong, and it wasn't wearing off any time soon. I wanted to stop and pick up my prescriptions, but Mike decided that was too risky, or perhaps he didn't want me to be alone in the car while he was in the pharmacy and he certainly couldn't take me inside with him because I was being a complete fruitcake. He took me back to my mom's house and helped me inside and got me all comfortable and in bed. He and Eddie both went back out to the pharmacy and grocery store to pick up some supplies. I fell asleep immediately. Sometime that evening, Mike had come to wake me up. He had my pills in hand and a bottle of water with cranberry juice and a bowl of soup. And I sat up, and oh, the headache! Oh, my back! Oh, the pain! I had slept off the painkillers, clearly. It was dark out, and I had no idea what time it was. The only thing I did care about was getting more painkillers in me. I swallowed all the pills he gave me and drank down most of the water with the cranberry juice. And I laid down, and he curled up beside me and wrapped me safely in his arms. And as sick as I was, this was another moment of pure bliss. By the time I woke up again, it was sunny and bright. I made my way down the stairs into the bathroom and I eventually found everyone outside. Mike rushed to my side when I appeared, and I assured everyone that I was fine. I indeed felt much better than I had the night before. We had a brief conference about the trip to Florida, and I was ready to go. My mother suggested resting for another day or two, but I just wanted to get this thing going. We'd leave that afternoon. I packed a cooler with water bottles full of the cranberry juice concoction, lots of the leftover chicken cutlets, and other various snacks for the road. Eddie would be leaving a day and a half after we did, and he'd be bringing Maggie down to Florida on the train. This would give Mike and I a day or two to get ready before they got there. Mike loaded all of our things into the cab of the truck, and I said my goodbyes. It would be a while before I saw my mother, and I had to listen to all of the mom lectures about driving safe, not picking up hitchhikers, not eating junk food from gas stations, and anything else she could think of. She had started to make sure I understood when to take my medications, and that I had to stop often to use the restroom, and thankfully Mike intervened. He gave Mom a hug and reassured her that he would take excellent care of me, not to worry. I hugged Maggie for the longest time. Even though I'd only be away from her for a few days, it was still hard to say goodbye. I rarely left her side, and I knew I would miss her terribly. But Maggie and her dad had a phenomenal relationship, and she'd be in the best of hands. Mike helped me climb up into the truck. Aside from the furious pain in my back, I was also too short to get up there easily. I'm only five feet tall, and he found this endlessly entertaining. Once settled, we pulled out of the driveway and onto the road. Florida or bust! You can really learn a lot about a person by taking a long road trip with them. The first thing was, who got to control the radio? Mike gave me free rein over it, which was great. My favorite channel is the Scan channel. I'm happy to listen to 4 or 5 seconds of a song and then move on to the next one. However, every time that song Smooth by Santana came on, I stopped the Scan. I loved that song, and that was our theme for this road trip. We must have heard it a thousand times between Connecticut and Florida, and Mike never seemed to grow tired of it. Or if he did, it never showed. It was only about two hours into the drive before he pulled off the highway into a gas station rest stop. "'What are we stopping for?' I asked. "'You,' he said, as if I was just being silly. "'Time to get out, stretch your legs, use the bathroom.' He came around to the passenger side to help me out. It was a pretty big jump from the cab to the ground, so he just caught me in his arms and lowered me down slowly. Oh my, that was grand. Not only was it an incredibly chivalrous gesture, it was also useful.' My back was screaming in pain, and a hard landing on the ground would have killed me. He was leaning against the side of the truck, waiting for me when I came back. He helped me back up into my seat, and we headed off once again. This was repeated every two hours like clockwork. He was being extremely mindful of my needs, and I was really amazed by this. I felt so safe with him. After about eight hours on the road, I noticed he kept looking over at me. What? I asked. You're getting really fidgety. Are you okay? Are you hurting? He inquired. Yeah, just this seat isn't so comfortable with this back pain, but I'm okay. I can take a painkiller. Let's keep going. Nope, let's stop for the night. You need to stretch out and relax, he said. Well, okay. I wasn't feeling like arguing, and frankly, I was tired and would like to lay down. He found a Holiday Inn Express and parked the truck. He helped me out of it and grabbed our overnight bag, and I sat on a nice squashy chair in the lobby while he secured a room for us. When he opened the door, he said, I got a surprise for you, and led me into the room. I followed him right into the bathroom, where there was a giant whirlpool tub. Oh, yes! He saw the look on my face and just laughed. Like it? That should feel great, huh? I could not get out of my clothes and into that tub fast enough. I ran the water nice and hot and turned on all the jets. Oh, yes! Oh, my God, that felt so good! It was a huge tub, so he figured that he may as well join me. Nothing untoward happened, as I was still just in too much pain for any of that sort of shenanigans, but it was still a lovely intimate moment. The painkiller I had taken was finally kicking in, so after a nice long soak, all I wanted to do was sleep. The bed was perfect, not too firm, not too soft, and I sank into a deep and dreamless sleep. He woke me in the morning with soft kisses, and I opened my eyes to the face that I wanted to wake up to every day for the rest of my life. He had already packed up our things and had an outfit ready for me for our bag. "'Get dressed. Breakfast downstairs before we go. They have a huge buffet. You'll love it. Oh, and here's your meds. Here's your water.' "'Okay.' He handed me a few pills and a bottle of water, and I swallowed them quick and put on my clothes. He grabbed our bag, and we headed down to breakfast.' There was a huge buffet, and I realized that I hadn't eaten in quite a while. The nausea had stopped me from even trying the soup he had brought me the other night. Everything looked so good, but I was really self-conscious of eating a lot in front of him, though, so I had some of the fruit salad and a little cottage cheese. He looked at the plate as I set it on our table, and he just laughed out loud. I didn't see what was funny about cottage cheese. There's nothing funny about cottage cheese. He went back to the buffet and came back with a plate loaded with eggs, bacon, ham, hash browns, English muffin, you name it, and he placed it in front of me. Here, eat some real food. You need energy and protein. Well, since I'm being ordered to, I guess I must. I wolfed that plate of food down without any hesitation. I was so thankful for that, and I told him so. I explained why I had grabbed my little plate of fruit salad, and he said he figured that out and thought I was just being silly this man really understood me, and I thanked the universe for bringing us together. Every time I turned around, he was doing or saying something new for me to be thankful for. I wondered, what had I done to deserve this? And there's a thought that I would also have years from now, but in a very different context. And that brings us to the end of episode 5 of Toxic Bliss. Tune in to episode 6, where we finish our journey to Florida. Until then, thank you for listening and take care. People ask me what my secret is. I just smile and say, today and for I'm sending the The sun came up.